Well, good morning. Ultimately making my way down the aisle. If I miss shaking your hand, I'm sorry. But I want to welcome you to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. If this is the very first time you've ever been here, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to take the card from the pew in front of you and fill it out in its entirety. And when you leave, if you just put it in one of the offering boxes, when you exit, we would certainly appreciate that because we'd like to acknowledge you being with us today. wonder if you might join me in a time of prayer. And then we're going to worship, continue to prepare ourselves for uh, the observance of the Lord's Supper this, in this early part of the service as we come to worship God. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us. Thank you very much for your love, your compassion, and your care. And Father, I pray that this morning that God, we would be very sensitive to your spirit. I pray, God, that as we prepare ourselves through music, through preparation, through private prayer for the observance of the Lord's Supper, that we would be mindful, mindful of your sacrifice, mindful of your compassionate care, your love that's unconditional. Your willingness to sacrifice everything so that we might have life abundant here and life everlasting. And I pray that God as we are called to be your followers, that we too would follow your example. To Father, be the light and have that same compassionate care and love. So today, as we prepare to observe this memorial table, as we sing the songs of the faith, we pray you'll speak to us powerfully. And God, today, we want to experience your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I'd like to ask you, if you would, just to bow your heads. Prepar, uh, make the preparation in your own heart and your mind. And as our deacons find their place and prepare themselves, let God speak to this very important and vital and spiritual time. Father, as we take the opportunity to prepare ourselves, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to come directly to you as creator of the universe. And thank you for allowing your son to come to sacrifice, to be raised up so that, Father, we have opportunity to have a life everlasting. And it's a sacred time when we come before the memorial table. It is reflective of what Christ has done for us. And so I pray as we take these elements, that, Father, it won't be merely ritual or tradition, but God, it will be meaningful and powerful because of rep what each element represents. So I pray we'll be able to move everything out of our minds and our hearts, focus completely upon this time. God, I pray that we will have prepared ourselves to take these elements and through it worship you we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Father, once again we come before your presence, hearing what Paul has to say, reflecting back on what the Lord spoke to him and how he passed it on to the church at Corinth. And Father, on to us. And I pray. I pray, God, that we will remember. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus said, take eat, this is my body. Bill, would you lead us in prayer for these elements, please? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Thank you, Lord, for your presence among us. Help us now as we observe the remainder of this observance of the Lord's Supper. That we remember the sacrifice you gave by sending your only begotten son here to take on the sins of the world to give us that gift of eternal life. In your holy name we ask it. Amen.
Jesus said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. <clears throat> the scripture says, and they sang a hymn, and they went out. This morning, I'd like to ask you to stand in the spirit of what we have experienced, to sing, and to worship, and to give God the glory.
as we were singing those two songs, I was reflecting on what, the ending of the first song that we did. So I'm going to read the words before we pray. You're the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. May we pray. Heavenly Father, fill us with your grace. Fill us with your love and mercy. And may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We love you, Lord. We love you more each day because you showed your love for us by going to the cross. And as we just sang, Calvary covers it all. Bless us, Lord, as we hear your word proclaimed. In your precious and holy name we ask it. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand again as we sing a hymn, Stand Up, Stand up for Jesus.
for today is from Philippians chapter 1 verses 19 through 30. Join us and be blessed as we read today's scripture. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live in Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you, with all your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my beginning with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We are blessed this morning by the reading of this scripture, for these are the words of the Lord. It's a beautiful hymn I want us to sing together now. It's entitled, Lord, Here Am I, Fulfilling the Call of the Mission. Master, thou callest, I gladly obey. Can you say that this morning? Lord, here am I. Yeah. 
certainly was the Apostle Paul's belief. Lord, here am I. We've been following the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Philippi while Paul has been imprisoned in Rome. First, we talked about the joy for the journey. Then we talked about love for the journey. Last week, we talked about Paul's call for the journey. All of those things relate to us as we go about this journey in life that God has called us to in Christ Jesus. We ought to have that joy in the journey no matter what the circumstances. We ought to have the love, and that love is foundational for us to have joy. And then to understand that for every one of us, God has given us a call for the journey to do different things. He's gifted us. He has uh, given us the abilities, the skills to do things for his kingdom. Today, I want to continue that theme fulfilling the call of the journey. How do we get to the end game? How do we get all the way through this journey? And I know we're only in the first chapter of Philippians. We'll be here for uh, another couple of two months or so. But man, to fulfill what you have started out, is that not what we want? And isn't that what God said? Paul said, listen, the one who began this work in you will see it to its completion. And that's what we want. Now you reflect back on your life. Those of us in this worship center today, we have fulfilled so many more things and lived longer than most of the people in this world. And that is a true blessing. And the desire is to finish strong. We've moved to this place to, uh, uh, to retire, but not to check out. We moved to this place to enjoy, to fellowship, because there's been a lot of hard work through the years that have gotten you to this place. But this is not the end. Fulfilling the call for the journey or what God has for you right now. As we look at the Apostle Paul, we find that uh, his call took him to meet many people in many different places and also to endure many different hardships. Not the least of those hardships was his imprisonment in Rome. He was going to be there from our perspective, looking back, probably about two years. But he was faithful. He was faithful to the commitment to his call. God had called him to be an ambassador to the Gentiles. And Paul was focused on accomplishing that, fulfilling the call of the journey. You know, Christian courage is not necessarily fearless. Rather, 
it acts in faith. Based upon Christ's steadfastness, courage recognizes the importance of this life and how critical it is as a means of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here for whatever years we're going to be here, but what God's ultimate purpose is to have fellowship with us, which was restored through our faith in Jesus Christ, and to communicate that same grace and love and eternal life to every single person on this planet. And so whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever difficulty we find ourselves in, whatever place we find ourselves in, the important thing is, how can God use me to advance the gospel of Christ? So how do we do that? How do we follow Paul's example? What we find in, in what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 30 that uh, Ms. Carolyn read, we find that the desire must be there. It's not automatically going to happen. You have to have a desire to fulfill God's calling upon your life, whatever that calling might be, to accomplish his purpose for you. <coughs> so if we have a desire, if we make the intentional decision, God, I want you to be a, not only a part, but a major part of my life, how do I accomplish that, the fulfill of the call? Well, we find that Fulfilling the call of the journey leads to boldness. In verse 20, the Apostle Paul said, But I, but that I will in no way be ashamed, but have, will have sufficient courage. Uh, he uses that term. It's in the New International Version. It's the word courage. In the King James Version, it's boldness. It has this idea that it is a courage shown by one who is open and acts openly in a hostile environment. Meaning that a believer in Christ, no matter what the environment might be, we're going to have courage to face it and to live out that life. Yet in Paul's difficult time, his circumstance that he found himself in as a prisoner of the Roman Empire, he was in danger of failure to maintain that bold and fearless testimony. He could have become very negative. He could have said, God, you know, this isn't the place that I'm supposed to be. God, why have you put me here? And each one of us probably can address a time in our life when we have had these difficult thoughts. God, I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. I don't understand these health factors or these financial factors or my relationship factors or, or any of these things that have taken place in my life. I don't understand them. But what Paul teaches us is how to use life circumstances when they come our way and turn them into the opportunity to be his servant. Not to be, uh, not to be just fearless in the situation, but to be fearless for him. Paul's testimony was his words and his life. Those two aspects should be part of ours as well. We think of boldness as we live through life. It's not just the words we say, but in reality, it's how we live our life. Because we can speak, as you've probably heard many times, all kinds of wonderful things about what we should be doing and what we are doing, but if they're not backed up by what we are actually engaged in, our actions, people will dismiss it. So what Paul's heart's desire was, he said, was that Christ be 
exalted or magnified in him. In other words, whatever happens to him, he does not want to be ashamed, but he wants Christ to use him in whatever way so that Christ is magnified and not he himself. That would be a great thing for each and every one of us. Rather he, whether he lived a life to the fullest or whether he had a martyr's death, he said, to me, it, it, it doesn't matter. I just want Christ to be exalted, to be magnified in my life, whatever happens to me. Paul's greatest hope was the, be that he, was, uh, he would boldly proclaim Christ, whether it was by life or by death. And he was confident of this through the prayers of the believers in Philippi and through, the Bible says, the help given him by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that he would not be ashamed, but rather that Christ would be exalted or magnified in his life, whether by life or death. So that's what his heart's desire was. And he knew that the believers at Philippi were praying for him. He knew the spirit of the living of God was engaged in his life, was in him and empowering him. And he felt like that, you know what, with those two factors involved, with the intercession of the believers and the spirit of God in my life, then I am confident that I will not be ashamed that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. And that's what I desire. He was confident that the Spirit's protection would enable him to accomplish what he felt was God's purpose in his life, the proclamation of the gospel. Not just his own personal security that he would get through this, but that rather that Christ would be exalted in its entirety. And I think the same should be said of us. We should try to live our life in a way that we are not ashamed at all, but rather that whatever happens to us, and whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, that we will be a witness, a light to those who are around us, no matter how dark that circumstance might be. And if we have people praying for us and interceding on behalf of us, if we rely upon the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, rather than our own will, even our own intellect, as great as that might be, then we're going to be successful in allowing Christ to be exalted, even in our life. I think Paul's whole purpose was to speak boldly for Christ because he had seen what life beyond this temporal life was all about. He had experienced a, a complete revolution in his life. You see, it wasn't always his purpose to communicate the gospel to the Gentiles. Before he met Christ, his ambition was to rise up in both the, uh, the religious and the judicial arenas of Judaism and of Israel. That's what he wanted to be. He was already a member of the Sanhedrin. He was quickly moving up the ladder. But when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, it changed his life completely, turned it upside down. And all of a sudden, he realized it's not the accolades in this life <coughs> that are the most important. What's important is Christ, and Christ being exalted by our, our lives. So we find that he traded his temporal life for eternal life, that he traded his life mission and his life purpose for God's call to be an ambassador to the Gentile world. And so he even left Israel to go to the known world to follow God's call and to fulfill God's call in his life. That's what transformation will do. 
That's what Christ will do for you. Changing what your desires are to what his desire is for you. Well, that's why he lived the rest of his life the way he did. And that's why he could say in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, listen, Christ is filling my life. I want him living through me completely. For, for, for me, he said to the Galatians, I, I, I am crucified to myself. I've, I've laid myself on the altar, and now I want Christ to live through me. So whatever I do in the flesh, I do it for the sole purpose of accomplishing what God wants. And he says, listen, if this is to die, so be it. If it's to, to continue to live, so be it. But whatever happens, Christ be exalted in my body. Christ was Paul's life. He is the eternal life which Paul received at his point of salvation. He's the one who guided Paul in his ethical and moral content. How he developed his discipleship and his growth. That was the one. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who operated in, in Paul's life as the motivator and energizer and pulsator. He, he desired in every way to transform Paul's life. And Paul allowed him to do that. Christ lived through the apostles' life. And that was Paul's desire. And there's a lesson to be learned. The lesson, and it's a hard lesson, but the lesson is I need to, I need to put my, my own purpose in life aside unless that purpose is exactly what Christ is wanting me to do. If Christ is going to literally live through me, then I need to act and speak and be the presence of Christ in the lives of others and wherever I'm at. That's what Paul is trying to say. Now for Paul, to die would be the ultimate because then he would be living in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he understood that because he had seen what that was going to be like. Whether that was an, an actual experience or a vision God had given him, he saw what was on the other side and it was so powerful and so life-changing, God gave him the thorn of the flesh to remind him, it's not time yet. This world's going to be difficult, but there will be a time coming. But remember, you have a task to accomplish. So Paul said, man, it would be great to live in the presence of Christ to die is gain, but if I'm going to stay living, then I need Christ living through me. And that's what he was going to do, whatever happened, to live completely for Christ. And I wonder, does that reflect your life? Is, as you reflect on what Paul is saying, are you wanting Christ to really live through you? Are you wanting him To communicate the words and the actions that he desires in you. Are you still holding on to those things that we want that's not part of his desire? That is a lifelong process. That is the, the realm of sanctification, which is our lifelong process of growing closer and more intimate with Christ to allow him every area of our life. Paul worked hard toward that. He wanted that completely. So, for Paul, fulfilling the call for the journey meant to share Christ and to invest in others. 
I think that's probably true for all of us. That should be God's call for us. We find that fulfilling the call of the journey not only leads to boldness, but also it leads to compassion. If you look in verse 24, we find in uh, Paul saying, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. The term two here refers to the life and death that he had just mentioned. And there was equal pressure on both sides to say, this is what I want. He says, listen, I'm, I'm torn between the two. If I had to choose to go ahead and die, be a martyr for Jesus Christ right here in Rome, or to live and continue to make those missionary journeys and communicate Christ and invest in others, I am torn between the two because I know what's ahead, and that is better by far. Uh. He uses that term desire. It is a passionate desire. It is not just an intellectual thought. It carries the idea uh, when he says, I desire to depart. If you've ever been on a campsite, that's the idea of tearing the tent down. You tear the tent down, you put the tent up, what happens? Well, you know you're leaving. You're going somewhere. And that's what he's saying. He said, I... I desire to depart. I am fine to, to pull up the stakes and put that tent away, talking about this human body as the tent, and to head on to the next thing that God has for me in his presence. That phrase can also be translated the term loosen. And that has the idea of a ship that's loosened from its anchorage and now can continue on its journey. We're kind of tied down here, aren't we? We're kind of, we're, we have an anchor here in this temporal world, and, and none of us right now are, are in any hurry to cut that anchor, are we? <laughs> but when it's time, we ought to desire and to be, be willing to depart because it's going to be better by far. So Paul's passionate desire was to, to go ahead and be in the presence of Christ better by far you know people talk about that when they talk about the world getting so bad it says well i'm just looking for christ to come back well amen i am too and i'm ready to depart i'm ready to depart whether it's by death or christ coming back because it's going to be better by far a place where there's no more sickness and no more death no more sorrow or sadness, where sin will not be there, where Satan will not be there. Can you imagine such a place? Well, he's got it prepared for every single person who has a relationship with him. And we ought to be excited and desire to depart. But we should be torn just like the Apostle Paul. Why should we be torn like that? Because there are others who need the investment of our life for the cause of Christ. You know, entering heaven for Paul and hearing the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant, it's incredible, good and faithful servant. The idea of better by far, it's not the best English, but the translation is much, much better, or much more better than where we are right now. So his strong desire was to be in the presence of Jesus. But, but look at what he says. 
Not only did he have a compassion to want to be with the Lord, he also had a compassion for others. Notice he's not talking about compassion for himself. He's not saying, I want to get out of this because I have other things I want to do that are on my bucket list. Rather, he says, it's more necessary, in verse 24, for you that I remain in the body. That term, more necessary, he's talking about the Philippian believers, but also he's talking about us. He had more work to do that impacts us. We're being impacted by what he has written. And he continues to be. He said, it's more necessary that I remain in the body. That has the idea of staying or, or resting. The idea is clinging to this present life with all of its inconveniences and standing by this mortal life. He says, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body with its difficulties and with all the scars that he had, with the target on his back because of his bold Christian faith, not only from the officials in Rome, but also for many who were in the higher ranks of Judaism. But it's characteristic that Paul, for him, the first thing was always looking at the lives of others. It's more necessary for you. How many times do you say that in a, in a week? You know, I'd really like to do this, but you know what? I think it's more necessary that I go and take care of this person or, or, or speak with this person or minister to this person. It's more necessary, he says. So he moves away from his personal desires to that which is very best. And he focuses now upon the church at Philippi and the other churches that he has started and accomplishing his God-given calling. The investment of the gospel and the investment into others with compassionate care to guide them into a greater understanding and more in-depth intimacy with Christ. That young church emerging from a pagan society, they needed his guidance, they needed his advice, they needed his help. And for their sake, it was necessary for Paul to live on. He says, to be with Christ is better by far, but to remain in the body was more necessary. It is an example of what I spoke two weeks ago about. It's an example of love. The Greek word agape meaning your needs are greater than my needs, so I'll meet your needs before I meet my needs. That's what Paul is communicating here when he says it's more necessary for you. For me, man, to be in the presence of Christ, that would be tremendous. But for you, outward looking. And I think this is so important for believers today because sometimes we just look in ourselves. It's all about us. What's going on in my life? All the difficulties I have, all the joys I have, it just centers around an, an egocentric process. That's not Paul. Paul says, look outside. Look at others. Invest in others. It's more necessary to do that. Express that love. That compassion was seen in his partnership with the gospel with the church at Philippi in verse 5. Verse 12, it also brought about the realization of his chains, that the, his chains were really to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It also served in verse 18 as the important thing that, where he says that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. That shows his compassion as well. 
And then last is the ultimate desire that Christ, as always, will be exalted or magnified in my body. In these early verses in this letter to the church, he focuses upon how important compassion is. Compassion and passion to communicate the gospel and invest in others. So fulfilling the call of the journey will lead to boldness. It will, um, will certainly lead to compassion. And third, we find that it will lead to fruitful ministry. If you go back and look at verse 22, Paul said, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, it's not just getting through this crisis, being alive, and now I can go and do whatever I want. Rather, he says, if I'm to live in the body, this will mean fruitful labor. He's not, about, not talking about fruit for his bank account. <laughs> Paul was a tent maker. If he wanted to, he could have made all the money that he desired. He was a scholarly man. But what he's talking about here is fruitful labor for the kingdom of God. Again, he talks about building up the church at Philippi, building up the other churches in Asia Minor, and continues to this very day. His church planning endeavors would establish a strong Christian presence in Rome. So much so that in 325 A.D., some 250 or so years after Paul's death, Christianity became accepted and became the religion of the emperor of Constantine. What a change took place. Why? Because the apostle Paul was true and fulfilled his calling. And it was fruitful labor for certain. We find that just even in his day, uh, his communication of the gospel brought about spiritual transformation for thousands of people in just a few short years. That's where all those churches in his three missionary journeys came from, as well as the establishment and the encouragement of the church in Jerusalem, as well as the church at Antioch. To say that his continuing ministry would be fruitful would be a vast understatement. He has changed the world because of his faithfulness. In verse 25, he said, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That term convinced means confidence. I have full confidence that God's going to get me through this for the very purpose that I know it's more necessary for you. And we're going to go from this to be back with you, to bring the joy that you have in Jesus Christ to life again. It is a powerful statement when somebody who has made such a spiritual investment in your life comes by and drops and visits you for a while. Have you ever had a mentor do that? One who's just invested in your life and they just drop by and encourage you? I've had that great opportunity and it's inspiring and encouraging. Well, without a doubt, that's what Paul was striving to do. Because, you know, Paul, Paul lived a sacrificial life, a crucified life. Dead to himself, setting aside his own desires to live for the glory of God. And he said he did this for their progress. The word progress here refers to two things. One is he was 
he was talking about their progression in their pioneering of the partnership they had in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go back to verse 12, advancing the gospel. He said, I'm going to come beside you and I'm going to encourage you as you continue to advance the gospel. He said, you guys have been doing it, but I'm going to come beside you and encourage you and cheer you on to continue that. And secondly, it refers to the believer's progress in their discipleship and their maturing in their Christian conduct and service. In other words, they, they, they were moving out of that pagan society. They were these infant Christians, and now they were beginning to mature. They are beginning to grow. A granddaughter that's two years and three months old and grandsons, two of them that are two years old, I have seen them from when they were, uh, well, in the ultrasounds <laughs> and progressed every step along the way. And I have seen such a change, especially in these last few months of their personalities and, and what they're understanding, what they're doing, how they're accomplishing things. This is a beautiful scene of what's happening with the church at Philippi. They are growing up. They're beginning. They're, they're kind of like these preschoolers in elementary school that are continuing to grow up. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to come and help you in your progress. And whether I'm going to be absent or, or and hear about what's going on or I'm going to be able to come and visit you, I'm going to see that progress. He says, listen, I'm confident that I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress. In verse 26, he says, So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Here we're talking about a fruitful ministry. There's nothing more fruitful than seeing a body of believers, individuals that you invest in, grow in their joy in the Lord and grow in their faith. I, uh, I don't do much on Facebook. Some of you don't do anything on it. You're probably better off. But I do that because of my friends from college and seminary and all the churches I pastored for the last 40 years. And I've been able to connect with so many different friends and fellow students and church members over the years and see their growth in the Lord through that time. And it is just heartwarming to see church members that I pastored 25, 30 years ago and how bold they are in their faith. And I remember when they weren't that way. But to see that and the joy in their lives. Paul's saying, listen, I, I want you to know that that when I come, that joy and that, that you have is going to overflow because you have the gospel. And you have the gospel and you're engaged to accomplish and to fulfill it. Well, my time is running short, so I must get on to my last point. He says um, that fulfilling the gospel not only leads to boldness, it leads to compassion, it leads to a fruitful, a fruitfulness, and last, if we are going to fulfill the call of the journey, it leads to faithfulness. In verse 27, 
he instructs the believers at Philippi, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves. He said in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now sometimes people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, says, okay, I've got my fire insurance, I'm good spiritually, now I can go on and live my life. And the reality is that's not, that's, that's just the first step, giving your life to Christ. You've got a whole life to grow in Him. To allow his spirit to teach you to become a mature believer, not a spiritual elitist, but one who is spiritually in depth, that you see and understand the needs, the need for salvation for others and the need that people have to get through life and just the difficulties of life. And you decide to come beside them. Faithfulness. He... Uh, he talks about serving the Lord. He says it's a high honor to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something that you were just, you know, that you worked for. You didn't work for it at all. The reality is that it's a high honor, but that high honor focuses upon humility and devotion. It's not a high honor like a badge you wear and say, hey, man, look at me. I've, I've given my life to Christ. No, it's, it's one of humility to say, you know what, I didn't do this on my own. But I'm, I'm going to do everything that I can to let God's Spirit guide me in my focus and devotion. He, uh, he continues on and he pleads with them to live a life worthy of the gospel. How worthy is the gospel? The gospel is, is everything. The gospel means the good news of Christ, what Christ has done for us. He says, live a life that, that matches what Christ has done for us. We, we observe the Lord's Supper with this beautiful understanding of the sacrifice that he gave. And he says, listen, if you're going to follow me, this is what I'm calling you to do. A life worthy of the gospel is consistent. It's right. It's faithful living. He admonishes these believers to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened. Hmm. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened. Here he encourages these believers to be unified to be in one accord, to be one spirit, to be one mind as they contend for the faith of the gospel. Meaning, as you go and you live life to communicate the gospel in word and deed, you've got to be together. He's talking to the church of the living God. He says, you need to be unified to accomplish this. It takes a courageous church to resist infighting and to, to maintain the common purpose of serving Jesus Christ in unity. Because when you get a, a bunch of folks together, they all have different opinions and different views and different ways of looking at things. But to take the conscious effort to say, you know, the whole reason we are here is to be Christ ambassadors to a lost world, to be equipped and to serve in the realm of ministry. And it's not always easy, but man, for a church to say, this is our purpose. The little things aren't going to matter. We've got to stay focused on our purpose. 
So fulfilling the call of the journey will lead to faithfulness. And it is a flow for every single member of the body of Christ because through that, that call, every single one of you are able to fulfill God's call in the realm of ministry and faithfulness and to use the giftedness that he's given you. Every single one of you. So my question is, are you doing that? Are you, do you know what your purpose is in your Christian life? Is it fulfilling? Where are you in that realm of being faithful? You know, the, the church, he says, is to stand firm with one spirit, contending as one man, carries this idea of a runner. You know, a runner, which I'm not, but a runner, when he or she runs, has lots of members of the body that have to work together to accomplish, even finishing the race, much less winning it. When he talks about as one man, contending as one man, he has this idea that all the members are working together to accomplish, to contend for the faith of the gospel of Christ. It takes all of us not just a few of us, all of us using our spiritual gifts and our, our passions. He says, this is what has to happen. But it's not easy. He says in verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for him. Boy, do I have to finish this sermon with that term, suffer. <laughs> Paul considered it a privilege to suffer for Christ. That's not our nature. That's not who we are. We're not into suffering at all. To suffer for Christ? Well, I thought if I gave my life to Christ that my life would be smooth. I shouldn't have any difficulties. I, I wouldn't suffer for being a believer in Christ. And yet the reality is when we suffer and we faithfully represent Christ, our message and our example of our suffering for Christ will be seen by others and will affect and will encourage others as an example, but most importantly, it will encourage us. You see, suffering for Christ should be a privilege. It's not one that we in, in America are really anxious for, but if we are really striving to be a Christ-like believer, there are going to be people in this world that are not going to like that. I was reading just two days ago, there are 360 million believers in Jesus Christ around the world who are being persecuted right now, either imprisoned, uh, tortured, or in some way suffering, persecu being persecuted for the cause of Christ. He says, listen, this is what's going to happen. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but to suffer for him. In other words, it is a sacrificial life. But it's one that you need to stand firm for. I think suffering has not only the benefit of being an example to others and also being an encouragement to us that we're doing this for Christ eternally, 
but also it takes the eyes off of the earthly comforts, the things that we like around us. It weeds out the superficial believers. It strengthens the faith of those who endure, and it serves as an example for those who may follow us. So when we suffer for Christ, to whatever degree or level, it is saying, I am willing to be faithful even unto death. And sometimes we read these passages and we say, you know what? That doesn't really pertain to me. They're historical. They're great. I'm glad Paul did that. I'm glad the believers at Philippi did that. But that doesn't really apply to me. I, I, live, I live in a country that was established with Judeo-Christian principles. And I live in a country that we don't deal with that suffering. And part of that might be because we're not standing as firm as we should. Because if we were as bold as Paul, sacrificial in our giving of ourselves faithfully to the calling he's given us, then most likely we're going to rub some folks wrong. And there are people that are dealing with some of those kinds of things in our country today. And we should stand firm and say, you know what, no matter what culture says, I'm going to stand for Christ. Paul lived in a pagan culture. He was imprisoned because he was proclaiming the gospel of Christ. He was telling these believers, listen, as you continue to stand firm for the gospel, I want you to understand that you are probably going to suffer. But remember your heritage, what Christ has done. Remember your reward. That's eternity. That's why Paul could say, whether by life or death, because it didn't matter to him. He was a winner either direction. So my challenge to you today is you are focusing on fulfilling the call that God has given to you on your journey in life. Stand firm. Be faithful. Let Christ live through you with boldness and compassion. Be fruitful. Be faithful. As you finish to the end, Paul says it's going to be worth it all because it is better by far. Father, as we move into our time of invitation, I just ask that what Paul has spoken to each one of us, that God, it will strike us. Because every one of us are different. Every one of us who has your spirit living inside of us heard different things today that relate to our life from what Paul said. And God, I pray that we would choose to say yes. Yes, you know what? I just need to make these adjustments because my focus has been on, on maybe my world. I need, I need Christ to live through me in every way. And so today, today I rededicate my life, God. Or today I give my life to you. I've never, I've never accepted you before. And today I want to do that. Well, God, speak to all of us and help us to make a decision, make a response that is an act of worship to you and a commitment to what Christ has done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Please stand and sing that invitation hymn. I'll be at the front. If any decision that you want to make publicly, you come, please. I
seated if you would okay I've got just a few presentations and uh, I'm gonna ask Nancy if she would to go ahead and begin the insert in your bulletin on one side has information about the six small group topical studies which will begin a week from this Wednesday there are sign-up sheets in both lobbies I encourage you to look at those and sign up to participate in one on the other side of that insert is about the watchman prayer ministry relaunch which will take place the registration on February 19th. You'll want to read more about that. On Tuesday morning at eight, men is the men's fellowship breakfast. There are sign-up sheets in both lobbies for that. So if you have not already signed up, I encourage you to do so. You will not want to miss that breakfast, nor to hear Casey Boss give his testimony. Also on Wednesday evening at four o'clock, we will have chili and cornbread potluck. Sign-ups are out there for you to indicate which of those two menu items you would like to bring. And then our guest speaker will be from New Life Pregnancy, one of the ministries that we partner with. And we've had them before, and you will be blessed if you will participate in that. 
please take advantage of your bulletin. There are a number of other opportunities for ministry, and I pray that you will be involved in many of those. Pastor? Uh, you have, uh, some of you have met uh, Gregory Irvin. Uh, Irving, uh, Greg has been here for, you have been coming for a few months now. Maybe longer than that, about six, eight, eight months? Four or five months? Okay, that was ministerially <laughs> speaking. Um, Greg has accepted Christ uh, years ago, but he never made a public profession, never followed through with believers' baptism today. That's what he wants to do. So we're pretty excited about that, right? Okay, all right. So... All in favor? Say aye. Aye. All right. All right. Great deal. I have to do that, by the way. Okay. All right. Greg, I want to ask you to stay right here. What? Uh, do you have a Bible study class that you go to on Sundays? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Whose is that? Uh, Glenn. Glenn. Okay. All right. Is there somebody from his class? Glenn's class? Yeah. Dreamer, you mind coming on down here and standing? I don't want Greg to stand by himself. I might feel a little lonely. <laughs> Thank you very much. In just a few moments when we, uh, when we close, we're going to have a congregation come and, and give you what we call the right hand of Christian fellowship. Okay. Or if they don't want to shake hands, they'll, they'll wave. But either way, they're saying two things. Number one, welcome to your church family. And secondly, we're going to be praying with you and working beside you in these days ahead, okay? All right. Okay, you guys stay right here. All right. I'm not going to make you all come all the way over here. <laughs> I'll have you come right here. This is uh, Ted and Laura Bolt. You guys coming up right here? All right. Jack, would you mind coming and standing by these guys? Would that be all right? Okay, all right. Nah, I think they'll be okay. Yeah. And Debbie, thank you very much. Uh, this is Ted and, and Laura. Uh, they are coming from... Was it Oregon? Salem, Oregon. How many of you have been to Salem, Oregon? Isn't that a beautiful place? Yeah, it is. Uh, at certain times of the year. <laughs> oh, it is. I, uh, I remember um, I had a, a great accommodation at Salem one time. Uh, we took a men's group for a big uh, Promise Keepers event when I was pastoring in Seattle. And we slept on church pews. That was... <laughs> That was a welcoming sight there. <laughs> anyway, uh, these, these folks come on their profession of faith and, uh, and their baptism by statement. We are excited to have them. All in favor of accepting them, if you'd show them the sign I, please. Aye. If you're against that sign, no, and there's none whatsoever. We're so glad to have you guys. And uh, um, I, um, I'll let folks find out other information that you have that, that we have about you okay <laughs> because you're great folks <laughs> unless you want to say something you have anything that you want to say yeah <laughs> bob votes brother yeah and bob's not here today but uh but uh, did you guys plan that no okay okay <laughs> anyway i wasn't going to say that because i just didn't want to uh to tie you guys up you know but uh, Bob's a good guy. Ted's a good guy. I've met with both of these folks. They're just super folks. We look forward. 
And you've already begun meeting, I think this last time, with our medical, our volunteer medical team. That is marvelous. Thank you, Laura. Well, listen, you hang tight. I don't know if you can stand or not with, uh, with what you've got going on. If not, have a seat here. But our folks are going to come around and give you the right hand of Christian fellowship. And again, saying welcome to your family, because we are family here. And secondly, uh, we're going to be working beside you and praying with you in these days ahead, okay? All right. Let's stand together. We're going to have our closing prayer. And uh, then y'all come and, uh, and give, give these folks a great love. Sandy Boss is coming to lead us in our closing wow. prayer. What an awesome day this is going to turn out to be. Congratulations for the baptism. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we come to you with thanks in our hearts. We thank you for this church. We thank you that we may come and get fed from your word and to praise and worship you. Thank you for Pastor Kirby's message this morning. We ask you to bless him and his family along with all the other leaders in this church. We, keep, we pray that our praise and worship was pleasing to you this morning. We are grateful and love you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the cost for our sins. Help us to stand firm in our faith. Bless us as we now leave this place. We pray that you will use us for whatever your desire is and your purposes. Go with us as we go into the mission field of our community and pray you will let our light shine through us in this very dark time. Keep us in the palm of your hand and as we now go about our ways. In Jesus' name we pray, and all people say, Amen. Amen.